What's up, guys? This is the Rush Hour Podcast, hosted by me, John Grano, and my friend, Paul Cavera. What's uh, up, guys? It's also produced by my buddy, Al. What's good? Uh, today, we're going to be talking mostly about New York sports, but we're going to branch a little bit farther out, uh, maybe into NFL offseason, NBA, stuff like that. We're not going to really touch on the NHL, but it, it's something that can be talked about depending on the importance of it. Uh, I think we're just going to jump right into it uh, in the theme of the name, the Rush Hour Podcast. So uh, let's talk some Knicks here. I think uh, I think it's good. I think it's good that we're talking Knicks, and it's been a long time since they've been even competitive for us to talk about them. So uh, first topic, I think Julius Randle is an All Star. I really do. Julius Randle's played out of his mind recently. I mean, averaging 22, 11, and six is just something power forwards are not usually doing, and I think it's crazy that he's putting up the numbers that a you know usually a a small forward ish like. Giannis or LeBron would be putting up and he's just playing great as of late and I you know I remember I remember somebody saying that you know he's he's Zion Williamson if Zion was fat that's completely wrong I I think that you know Julius Randle is a guy that completely changed his game in one offseason he went from a guy who was a who wanted to be a point forward to a guy who really became one you know he passes the ball he gets rebounds he dishes he can shoot it at times I mean at times he gets a little shady I think the only thing that scares me a little bit with him is when he's in the post and it looks like he's got those T-Rex arms trying to go up and trying to go up and make a layup. That gets a little nerve wracking. Same with RJ Barrett, but you know, that's also improved. I um, think Julius Randle made a, a major change to his game in the off season. I think he lost a lot of weight, but made it in a muscle, made him a lot better of a player, made him faster. And I think just getting in a better shape helped him out a lot. And he really learned like what his role is on the team last year. I think he didn't really understand what he was supposed to do for the team. And I think this year he's uh, finally learned that he needs to get rid of the ball whenever he sees a second man even come close to him because last year he struggled with getting rid of the ball. He thought, I'm the only guy who's going to score points. Now he's averaging six assists a game as a power forward, which is crazy to think about. And I think that really speaks wonders to Tom Thibodeau. I mean, what he's done for this team, I mean, looking at what Fizdale had them looking like last year, it's ridiculous that we're in the top. I'd say if we're not number one, we're at least in the top three defensively. And, you know, defense leads to offense. I think a lot of our points are off the transition, as uh, Clyde Frazier likes to say. Uh, But I think that if without Thibodeau, I think we're probably looking at another four in whatever season. Maybe right now we have five wins. Nobody's an all-star contention. And maybe Julius Randle's putting up 14 a game and we're screaming at the top of our lungs to have him score points. So I, I, th- I, think, I, think, I think Tom Thibodeau really uh, changed the uh, energy that the Knicks brought because the Knicks last year, the Knicks I had to watch for, what was it, like 60-something games? I think it was yep. 60-something games. It was just – I was so boring to watch. They just, Nobody was enthused to play. Yeah. <laughs> They did not seem into the game whatsoever. So, I mean, I think Tom Thibodeau really changed the uh, the energy and the culture around the team, and I think that's what really made us competitive. I think the one thing, though, that uh, I think Knicks fans might be a little annoyed about, Alfred Payton's not a starting point guard anymore. I completely I, agree. I hate, I hate to say it. He's just not a starting point guard. I mean, I like him as a as a role player, just not, not a starting point guard. I mean, we've seen great promise out of Emmanuel quickly early in the season, so – I don't really think it should be anybody else but him starting. But Yeah, I think um, Emmanuel Quickley is going to be becoming a rising star for the New York Knicks. Um, I mean, off the bench, he's been doing very good. But, I mean, now he's had – now he's averaging 12 points, which is um, – It's actually second in rookies, which is absurd. I mean, yeah. he's averaging 19 minutes a game, and he's second in points. 
which is just weird to think about because you got guys like James Wiseman playing 35 minutes a game. I mean, and- now J- James Wiseman's hurt, so that's going to help uh, quickly a little bit there. But, you know, the one thing I've just noticed is is uh, Alfred Payton at times, you know, he just I think he had a pretty decent game last night. Uh, we're recording this yeah, on, on Thursday, but I think he had 20 points. I mean, 19 shots, which is a bit much, but I think he was probably 7 of 19, 8 of 19. Uh, I, you know, quickly, I just love watching him because it's so energetic. It's something the Knicks haven't had in so long. I mean, thinking of the point guards, I don't even think I could name one uh, in the last five years that's been prominent like he has. And, you know, I'll give credit to Peyton. It's not, he's not a bad point guard. Nobody's saying that he's a bad point guard. But he's not a starting point guard. He's not someone Knicks fans want to see. And you hope it doesn't turn into something like an Ennis Cantor situation where Knicks fans are losing their uh, you-know-what over quickly trying to come into the game. Uh, if anyone remembers with uh, Cantor, they basically sat him for half the season uh, just to trade him away. So that was pretty bad. But I, I just I can't I can't really believe how good quickly he's been. I thought he was going to be OK. I thought he was really more of a defender. I was a little nervous. It was going to be like a Frank Nielakina situation all over again, which I don't know where he is on the uh, floor for the Knicks. He's been nowhere. Absolutely he's nowhere. Playing. He's just just not going to play. Yeah. Him and Dennis Smith. I mean, Dennis Smith just opted to go to Westchester, which I mean, I like what Dennis his, Smith his, yeah, his best interest. Listen, I think he's still talented. I, I don't think he was the fit here. I don't think he's good, good enough defensively to fit into Tibbs role, but I, I think he, he improved his defensive game. If you watched him in the preseason, he improved defensively a lot from where he was. He was not a great defender. He's still a very streaky shooter, which is just something as a Knicks team with so many paint scores, it's not really it won't help to just have another guy come off the bench that could score in the paint. It's not going to help. Again, Alec Burks fits perfectly with the team because yeah. he's scoring at will. I mean, he, what he when he's on the court, he puts up 15 a night. Yeah, I think I have to – I have to. Uh, we can't just go this entire podcast basketball-wise without talking about the Nets and what they've done so far uh, this, this season. And that's really a complete turnaround defensively from the Knicks to the Nets, which you usually don't say. Uh, about a team like the, the Nets. Nets but- the Nets and defense just uh, they don't re- really uh, have any relation whatsoever. They're they're giving up 120 points a game with their new team, and 120 points a game. I don't care who you have on your team, it's not going to cut it. You lost to the Wizards. Like as a as a Brooklyn Nets fan, I would be scared defensively because you're just not a good defensive team right now. You've traded away most of your defense, and you really don't have a center. You know, but- I, yeah. I think Evan Roberts from WFN really put it best. If the Nets could keep themselves in like the top 20 of the defensive teams, you're looking at it an easy title, but I mean, you can't give up 140 points a game and expect to win night in and night out. You can limit it with their offense. Listen, their offense is probably the best in the league right now. One, two, you need to, you need to limit it to about 115, 120. You can't be giving up one four, 140 points a game and expect to win. I, I mean, to add on to you, I really think they got to, I think they need to make a deal. They need to make a move to get some kind of defensive presence in the paint. I think where they're going to get hurt the most right now, I don't even think it's the perimeter. I think the paint is really going to kill them because right now I think they have Jeff Green playing center, and that's just not okay in the sense that Jeff Green's a 6'9 power forward, yeah. maybe small forward usually. It, it, yeah. it um, seems like they're trying to play that like Rockets, uh, that Rockets small ball from a couple yeah, years ago. Guess, and guess how much that worked. They got them yeah. in the Western Conference semis and they lost. I mean, yeah. it just – it, they traded away Clint Capello, who's now a top five center in the league from what he's showing fans. Al, Al you were going to say something? Uh, going from team to player, I just want to bring up how James Harden has fit his role in Brooklyn because, you know, he's been made fun of for not passing the ball early, earlier in his career. And now he's averaging 12 assists, which is highest in, his, highest in the league and in 
and in his career, which I just want to br- bring up. And I think it really helps it. I mean, when you've got uh, a guy like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, when you're able to pass, you're able to dish. I think that definitely helps. Having- uh, but the main, the main thing I've noticed with Harden is just uh, his ability to score is much better. I think it kind of felt like he was trying way too hard to score in Houston. I mean, that last year, a couple years before, it's been better. But I think once he lost Chris Paul, once he was kind of down to just him and Westbrook, it was a lot of just – and now he lost Westbrook. But it was a lot of just him trying too way too hard to create points that he just didn't have. Well, I think the main problem is – and we'll make this the last point on basketball. I think the main problem is that Harden was looking at a season where he was – primarily the only ball handler on the court where Westbrook was hurt most of last year. And he was really forced to take a lot of shots and it was not a, it wasn't a great thing for the, uh, for the team. I mean, for the Rockets, the Rockets sake, they just didn't have much scoring last year other than him. And that's why he put up the absurd numbers he did. And I mean, now that he's on the nets and he's got two scores around him, I think it makes him a better player. I think it makes everybody around him a better player, but now moving on, we're going to talk about, Another orange-blue team, New York Mets. Uh, they've made a lot of moves this offseason, including uh, trading for Francisco Lindor, which was a huge deal. I mean, don't forget Nebraska, who we acquired. But, I mean, huge offseason for the Mets so far. I would – Al, you had something to say? And uh, as of uh, f- February 4th, Thursday, we just got news from Trevor Bauer's agent that there are two teams left in his uh, interest – and um, there are many – there's a source that uh, we follow that says it's the Dodgers and the Mets. And I, I think that that would probably be it. I mean, the the addition of Mickey Calloway on that Angels pitching staff really isn't helping the Angels in any way. That, that relationship, I think, is reported on Bleach Report. is just way too far gone from Cleveland. Um, but I, as a Mets fan, I'm, I'm really worried. I really want Trevor Bauer. I don't know how Paul feels. Al's a Yankees fan, so he probably doesn't want the Mets to get him. Just uh, – in terms of that, but I think that you need to give him whatever's necessary to get that man in your rotation. That, that really sets you up. You've got, you've got DeGrom, you'll have Bauer, you'll have Carrasco, you'll have Stroman, maybe even Peterson. I mean, at this point, when Syndergaard comes back, I don't know what David Peterson can be. I, I'm hoping maybe, you know, there's going to be injuries, so he could be someone that fills in 5-4 rotation that uh, there was. I'm, but hoping, I, I, I'm yeah. hoping he becomes a long man in the sense that I don't really know if he's got the stamina to be six, seven-inning guy consistently. I mean, I love I loved him last year. I thought he showed a lot for a team that wasn't really scoring a lot of runs. He was kept keeping the Mets in games when he played. Mm-hmm. I think he had like seven wins in his 14 starts. It's not bad for a rookie. Not bad for any Mets pitcher considering DeGrom can't get wins. And right. back in – back- wins in 2018. Yeah. Young, so. yeah. back, in, back in the Harvey days, way back 2015, 2013, he could not get a win for his life. He'd give up two runs a game through seven and – he'd end up having no decision or a loss. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, I think Bauer, I don't, I don't entirely love the signing. If we do get Bauer, I think if we do get Bauer, I think he brings a different aspect to the team. That'll make us, you know, more of a energized team. I think he brings swagger to the field that wouldn't know. Not a lot of people, not a lot of pitchers have that like swagger. Like he walks on the field. He knows he's the, like, he's the alpha. He's the alpha dog. Like he's going to, go out there, give you all he's got. I mean, I like that about him. I just don't like the fact that he flaunts everything on social media. It's just not necessary, in my opinion. I, I, you know, I, yeah, I do think social media can be an issue. I think he's very funny on social media. The one thing I am very excited to look forward funny. to, I'm very excited, uh, hopefully, if he is a Met. Uh, this is something for the fans. 
I'd love to see the vlogs because we really, we know about the Mets, but we don't really know what goes on the personalities of the players. I'd love to see him vlog and, you know, interact with some of our favorite players that we really haven't seen much other than interviews. I, I mean, I just feel like in a, in the Bauer sense, he, he uses his Twitter platform kind of like Steve Cohen does only did that, <laughs> uh, well did now that he can't use it anymore. But um, I think Trevor Bauer really needs to let his game talk. If he wants to do all the social media things that he was doing last year, obviously he had an unbelievable season last year, but taking that consideration, 15 starts is half of what you're going to get in a normal season. And he, uh, yeah, that's only NL central AL central comparison, yeah, which was the worst hitting spectrum. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the division last year, I mean, the reds were a sub 500 team and they're making the playoffs. I think they were, I think hovering around 500 through 60 games and they made the playoffs as the second team in that division. I think the Cardinals were first by like three games and they're like 35 and 25. Yeah. Just not a good division. I mean, they're getting better now, but the card, just- yeah, the Cardinals are going to be a team that you, you yeah. know you're looking at down the road. But yeah. the one thing about the Cardinals that I, that I will see, and we're going to get into like some MLB off season talk here. Uh, that, that trade with Arenado, I I I think I like it, but uh, what I will say is it kind of feels like a Goldschmidt trade where it's a guy who's who's very good, but he's starting to age, and it's you know maybe you're looking at a 275 average with that good defense. But I think that I don't know if the trade really is at the right time. For Nolan Arenado, what do you guys think? I well, I'm really, I'm a, I'm really a like, a, I'm a fan of Nolan Arenado. I mean, great player, unbelievable fielder. He shows that he's probably the best fielding third baseman year in and year out. Just the, the plays he makes are absurd. He really, Edwards just you don't don't see next to his name. So, I mean, I love the, I love the player he is. I you really can't judge him off a of sixty game season. Like you also saw guys like Yelich struggle last year, guys like Bellinger struggle last year, mm-hmm. and they've definitely proved themselves to be top five players at the position. Yeah, I'd have to and agree. I guess I uh, I, I, can't really I think, think that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> go go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think that uh, the Rockies did a very bad trade, and I think it was probably one of the worst things that happened in the Rockies franchise. Not only are they trading a one in a uh, lifetime type of player, but they're also giving uh, the St. Louis Cardinals $50 million for Arenado's first year of his contract. And, and, I mean, and you're, you're also disgruntling uh, a very good shortstop in Trevor story, because I guarantee you that was not in his future plans. I think he said something on Twitter about it, but uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Arenado wanted a winner. I think it came out that he wanted the GM to build and, you know, give him give him a good team and I think they made the playoffs in 2018 they were a wild card team but you knew they weren't going to be much more than that after that and it's just sad because it's a really good player it's two really good players at that at that left side of the infield that really will be remembered as guys that couldn't win for the Rockies I mean most likely I don't think you're going to be seeing Trevor Story bringing uh, the Rockies a title anytime soon well I really I mean it's not I can't really say that they couldn't win for the Rockies like it was just a tough I mean first off the NL West is probably the best division in baseball yeah before this year, probably not, but right now it is. I just don't think the Rockies were able to compete in that division right now. I think it was the right thing that they made the trade. It was the wrong thing that they're they're paying the Cardinals to money to pay Nolan Arenado, which is absurd. Let them pay his contract. Mm-hmm. But I think they're doing the right thing and trying to rebuild their organization. And I think Trevor Story for right now is involved in that plan. I think he's still young enough. I think he's like 27. That's mm-hmm. pretty young for a shortstop. I mean, he's been in the league for, what, three years? I, he's, he's shown to be a top three shortstop undebatably. 
Listen, and, I'll definitely use him in the show this year. I'll tell you that he's he's more. Yeah, of a I mean, he's a he's a great he's a great shortstop. I mean, I, I think that right now it would be stupid of the Rockies to trade him unless he demands a trade. But which you could see happen. But I think it's still early in his career. I don't really think he needs to leave yet to go win a ring. I don't really think that's in his best interest. I think if he wants to be a star, he needs to make a name for himself in an organization that sees him now as the star, mm-hmm. which. I, there's not really much else they got there. So now he's got a real chance to prove himself. Uh, going through a couple other free agent signings that have occurred over this last week. I, again, this is Thursday, February 4th. Uh, you know, you got Jack Peterson signing back to the Cubs or not back to the Cubs, but uh, on a one year, $7 million deal. Uh, a very nice deal here that I like the Nelson Cruz re-signing to the twins one year, 13. I think that that's a wonderful deal. I would have even, I know he's old, but I would have even given him two years there. I think he's got, much more left in the tank, maybe two, three years. He'll hit 30 times a season. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a- Angelton Simmons finds his way in the Twins. I think that's a good deal for them. I mean, we saw that defensive blunder, an awful one in that Houston series. I think that's somebody who's going to bring a huge defensive help to them. Uh, the Rays signed Chris Archer to a one-year $6 million deal, and it just goes to show how bad that Pirates trade really was. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, just, they, they did not only trade away Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow, they also – got back Chris Archer, who they traded away, who was supposed to be the star player of that trade. It was guys like Glasnow and Austin Meadows who were overshadowed by Chris Archer, Chris Archer's dominance almost. I mean, you if you went back, what was it, four or five years ago and looked at that trade, I think it was 2015, that you, you're looking at a trade where Chris Archer was the highlight. You didn't really see much about Meadows. You didn't really see much about Glasnow. And now they've turned into the better pieces in the trade. And the Rays have even gotten back Archer, which just shows – how terrible the Pirates organization is at making deals and to make their team better. I just, and I, I think that Chris Archer, that Chris Archer whole thing there just really didn't work out. I, I you know, he never really developed into what they thought he could be. Uh, I don't think he had an ERA over three, five, maybe four, even, I mean, last year, I don't know if he had a great year. The year before that definitely wasn't his best. It's it just sad to see because the Pirates maybe even five years ago were a team that were in contention. They just couldn't get over the hump. Yeah, I just – I mean, the Pirates were a competitive team. If you think about who they've had in the last five years, they, yeah. they've been a very competitive team. I had Garrett Cole for a while. I think – I don't even know – I think they traded him for probably – Yep, they, they traded him for almost nothing probably. They've had Meadows, Glasnow. They just traded Josh Bell, who was probably their best player on their team. They traded Tyone for nothing. They're trading away most of their players for prospects. Mm-hmm. And the prospects they've had are just – I don't really think I've seen – I mean, they have promise of Cabrian Hayes, O'Neill Cruz. They have a young team now, just not going to win games. Just I'm, Yeah, I mean, listen, obviously we've seen teams rebuild. I mean, look at the San Diego Padres, for example. All those prospects ended up into guys like you, Darvish, uh, guys like Mike Clevenger last season. I, it, it, it could pan out, but, I mean, knowing the Pirates, it kind of feels like a Mets situation before Steve Cohen came I in. I think the best example of what the, the Pirates are trying to do is the Marlins. I think that – the Marlins did a great job with uh, – well, I wouldn't say their trades were great, but I think they're doing a great job of developing their prospects and making them MLB-ready players. I think they've, they're they producing at a high level. Mm-hmm. They made the playoffs last year. They beat the Cubs in the first round, and the Cubs have been a you know a playoff team for the last eight, seven, eight years from what I can remember. Just mm-hmm. And they've won a World Series in the last 10 years. So just shows you that the Marlins are on the come up and that – it's going to be, they're going to be a tough team to beat too. I mean, it's with the young guys who want to win games, 
it, that's a team that the Pirates are probably trying to model themselves after, and I think that's probably who they should be modeling themselves after. All right, bringing us into a different offseason, we're going to talk a little, about the, a little bit about the NFL offseason and mainly about that quarterback roulette really going on around the league. I mean, I haven't really experienced this many quarterbacks wanting out or getting out or uh, unfortunately leaving if they don't want to. Uh, guys like Sam Darnold, for example, who we're going to get into first. Uh, you know, it was reported by Adam Schefter on a, on a podcast. I think it was one of those uh, pro football talk podcasts that uh, that the Jets could get a late first round pick for uh, Sam Darnold. And to be honest, if Joe Douglas, RGM, can pull that off, I mean, you, you might as well just put a shrine outside of uh, MetLife Stadium. Because I don't absurd. I don't really think – I mean, I don't get me wrong. I think Sam Donald's a – I think you could develop him into something good. I just don't think the Jets were the right fit for him at the time. I don't really think that the Jets roster is set up for a quarterback to succeed right now. I think with the offensive line he's had recently, he's not looking at a great offense. Uh, his receivers haven't been great. Uh, they signed Le'Veon Bell. They tried to get a running back for him. And Le'Veon Bell, let me just tell you, he's now uh, on the bigger and better things. He's a backup, Kansas. really. He's a backup well, at this point. Well, yeah, but a ring is a ring. I mean, it is a ring. Yeah. Uh, he, he he went from a, a running back who wasn't really doing much to a, a backup on a Super Bowl team who got significant touches late in the season. So, yeah. I mean, he had to give credit to him. I, I will say, I, I will say, it just it's sad what happened to Le'Veon Bell. What what we did, we just never gave an offensive line. You know, some of the moves that we made, Kalecio Semele, two time All Pro, we make the trade, third round pick. We thought this was great. He played three games and he loses his, loses everything. He sits out and then he sues the team. It's, uh, Connor McGovern this year, he hasn't been great. I, I mean, I'll give it to George Fan. I mean, he's been okay. I think if you want to draft another offensive lineman, a Penny Sewell type guy, you and maybe have to slide him over. But only only Bright's what I've seen really on that line is Mekki Becton, and you need more than that to help Sam Darnold be a better right, quarterback. Mekki Becton has uh, he he definitely showed to be the top two offensive lineman in that class, if if not top three. I mean, he was. <laughs> definitely a guy that people have questions about coming out he obviously his weight isn't you know ideal from what you what we've seen in the past out of tackles but he yeah. showed to be a very athletic tackle for his size yeah I think I think I think we saw that in that Raiders game uh against in that Raiders game that uh, Henry Ruggs caught that bomb touchdown they they kept handing the ball off we had Ty Johnson and uh Josh Adams who I don't know if any other common fan has ever heard of Josh Adams uh good thing you haven't we handed off the ball to him eight times, ran it to the left side, make it back to the side, we rushed for 150 yards. I mean, he's got to improve his pass blocking, but I I, I think talent-wise, he's there. I, I, think, I, really I think the Jets are in a tough position. I think they do have the best options to trade for Watson. I think if that's who they're going to go after, then they have to make the splash now before mm-hmm. it gets too late. I think they need to put on their first-round pick this year, next year, second round this year. Even Darnold, if you want to, I think they need yeah. to give him away a lot. I, I I'd love not to have to give up that uh that pick, but I, I think that uh the main thing that they have to worry about is not going over the top. I know that what Matt Stafford just ha- had for his uh involvement in that trade, he uh basically became two first round picks. I think a third, and uh, Jared Goff came uh, with that as well. Uh, but I, 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 it scares me looking at that trade because I know Matt Stafford's a great quarterback, very underrated, but he's not Deshaun Watson, and that's two first. I think you're looking at a guaranteed three. The only question is, can you keep the Jets? Can they keep their pick and give away the Seahawks pick next year? You're looking at maybe giving away those picks. I, I, I think all right, not to jump on, not to jump on you, but I'm just like I think that the main like problem 
with this whole trade thing is that the Jets have the picks to trade away. Don't get me wrong. I think if they're looking at getting Watson in this deal and they've come to a deal, I think they are comfortable giving away their pick next year only because they're going to win games next year. You have Deshaun Watson. He's a difference maker. He's going to win you games. They're automatically going to compete now. It's just Deshaun Watson. What I will say is, uh, you know, we just saw what the Texans had with Deshaun Watson. And I think you could make an argument that they were more talented than the, than the Jets team this year. I mean, maybe you sign Allen Robinson and you're looking better. But what were they, 4-12 and 12 with that type I of think, team? I think the Texans' defense is a lot worse than what the Jets offer. Yeah, I'll, I'll give credit to the Jets' defense. They weren't terrible. I mean, uh, Greg their Williams coached them all right. But... got awful. Secondary's got awful. I think they need to focus on yeah. that. I think there's some promise there. I mean, obviously, Marcus May, you have to re-sign him. I think uh, bless on Austin, uh, the Rutgers kid, is pretty good. Uh, he could be something. Bryce Hall out of West Virginia, they said he could be a first-round pick. Uh, he ended up having that, an injury. Correction, that's just Virginia. He, he went to Virginia. I uh, Bryce Hall is – actually, I'm very – Oh, so, so, so you're just making fun of me now. Okay, I see what it is. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You, don't, you just don't know what college you went to. but it's That's fine. my fault. But, you know uh, – Bryce Hall, not the TikToker, obviously. So if you think we're talking about the TikToker. No, yeah, yeah. Cornerback for the Jets. Wonderful corner. Need the podcast right now if you think we're talking about the TikToker. (laughs) Um, I mean, Bryce Hall did show a couple times that he was a – he's an all right player. I really think he was a first-round corner before he got hurt. He had a lot of injuries at Virginia. I think he was a very talented corner that got overlooked because of his injury problem. And I think the Jets got a good pick out of him. I think they definitely need to address corner – late first round with that Seahawks pick, maybe early second round. And I think like the, I think Eric Stokes from Georgia is a great boundary corner to add to your team. I think he's shown very, he's been showing that he's a very physical corner who could get it done and press and zone coverage. I think he's a great boundary to add to your team to go aside, bless Austin. And maybe Bryce Hall gets that third spot. I think that's a pretty good corner trio. And, and obviously this is all hypothetical considering the fact that if we get to Sean Watson, you're not you're not having to pick this year. You're you're sitting at home eating bonbons on the couch until the second yeah. or third round. Yeah, uh, but I think, but I think that's I think it's time to win, move into one of our uh, more fun subjects. Uh, we're gonna call it Al wants answers. Uh, our producer here, Al, is gonna ask him some questions, maybe some takes, and we're gonna give our opinion on them. Al, take All it right. away. Um, I got down on my paper that uh, I was talking. I was gonna think about asking a Deshaun Watson question, but I'm actually gonna change it up because you guys briefly talked about him a little bit. Um. But my first question is, how much longer will Aaron Rodgers be dominant, and when do you see him retiring? So uh, I'll answer that first. Um, I think that Aaron Rodgers, um, he had to prove himself this year. And uh, obviously, I mean, it could it can honestly be a joke at this point that the Packers could draft another first-round quarterback just to ignite the fire and make him go off like he did last year. I think what he did last year is absurd for a 39-year-old quarterback, I think he really shut up the Packers organization and really told them, yeah, I'm here for another three years, at least. Like, I'm, I think he's going to compete at the highest level for another three years. I, I think he's got the talent to compete. The highest yeah, level. I think Aaron Rodgers has the arm. He's got everything there. I don't see him slowing down. The only, the only question is, will he leave? And I, that could happen. I, I, I mean, do the Packers want to have another Brett Favre situation where they move on and see what Jordan Love is? I think it's a much different situation. I think that, uh, Aaron Rodgers is a much different quarterback from Brett Favre as much as he learned from him or if he didn't learn from him. Cause uh, I think, I think Brett Favre was, uh, I think Brett Favre wasn't producing the way Aaron Rodgers is. Yeah, Aaron, it, definitely not. Aaron Rodgers is... put up 48 touchdowns in 16 games. Yeah. Just like, that he was even able to do that as a 39 year old quarterback with the receiving where he has obviously Dante Adams 
probably the best receiver in the league, undebatably top three. So if you're looking at him, obviously, well, I think he had like 20 touchdowns, but you're looking at Marquez Valdez Scantling, who has had a drop problem since he's gotten to the. He's, he's, he's got a bad case of the dropsies, Marquez does. Yeah. So <laughs> you have him, you have Alan Lazard, who's been all right, but Alan Lazard isn't the fastest receiver. He's a really a deep threat type of guy. He's, but, he's an okay wide receiver. I think you plop him in on the Jets and he's probably a one or a two, but any yeah. other team, he's, uh, he's not. I also I, I love Robert Tunyon. I love what he did this year. I think uh, he definitely got snubbed for the Pro Bowl as a Giants fan. Evan Ingram does not deserve to be anywhere near a Pro Bowl ballot. I think it's terrible that he was even voted in. Yeah, he was the reason we've uh, lost some games. I think <laughs> the Giants could have won two more games. Could have could have made the playoffs as Evan Ingram makes a catch against uh, that first Eagles game. I don't even want to talk about that second oh, Eagles yeah. game, but uh, okay. yeah. yeah, the first Eagles game. Um, I I completely forgot about that. Evan mm-hmm. Ingram's down the seam, wide open. And he lets the ball go through his hands. I mean, Daniel Jones isn't a great quarterback. I understand that, but you need to help him out. He's made a great throw to put us ahead late in the game, and you let the ball go through your hands. Yeah. I mean, if you want any chance of being the starting tight end next year, gotta prove yourself. And he didn't do it this year. I think the Giants have an outside chance of taking. I know we just moved on completely from the conversation. <laughs> listen, listen, whatever it takes us, it takes us. But I think it's time we probably get into another uh, answer here before, All right. uh, before we run out of time. All right. Uh, next question I got is uh, first couple thoughts of Dustin Pedroia's career. And does he have a good case for the Hall of Fame? I, I think I'll take this one first. Listen, as a Mets fan, I love Dustin Pedroia. I know that's a weird thing to say just as a Mets fan, but I mean, I'm not a Yankees fan. We so hate I guess, the Yankees. So that's yeah, I, I, I can appreciate it. You know, I think that Dustin Pedroia is a Hall of Fame name without a doubt. I don't know if just because of the injuries, kind of a David Wright situation that you're looking at. I just don't know if he's got the accolades. He's got the MVP. I think he's got a couple silver sluggers, a gold glove, but I just don't think he's got enough hits. I don't think he's produced enough. Uh, I, I don't see it. I think that he had a great career. I mean, he was a, a second baseman who who's short. You know, we don't really see too many that short of players in the MLB. I think he really proved himself to be one of the best second basemen in the league for a couple of years. I think his prime was too short, though, to be an all, a Hall of Famer. I think he had a couple of great years, but I think his injury problem really hurt him in, in the long run. I think he struggled to stay healthy, struggled to stay on the field, which is uh, why I think that's bad. I think uh, another second baseman that just recently retired, Daniel Murphy. Uh, I really, as a Mets fan, I love Murph. Uh, I'll never forget what he did for us in 2015. I was there for uh, NLCS game two. He pokes the ball down the line foul. Next pitch, fair home run. We're going nuts. I mean, I've never had that much fun as a Mets fan, and uh, I don't think I will. Well, hopefully, I, th- I think I will in the next three, four years. But uh, I-, I just, I can't give, I can't give uh, more gratitude to Murph for what he did. And I-, and I think it's understated what he really did with the Nationals. In uh, 16, 17, even 18, I think he was there for a little bit. Uh, I mean, a silver slugger. At, at that point in his career, if he faced the Mets, he was guaranteed to get two hits and maybe a double or a home run. It, it was, it was, was kind of awful at the end. I mean, he, he hurt us more than he helped us, in a sense. I mean, I think he, he was the reason we lost a couple games in, those, in, a, in a span of those two years, I think. He, I think he probably won them a couple games. So Yeah. I mean, I, I – I think anybody who says that Daniel Murphy wasn't a help to the Mets, because I know obviously he had a world series blunder. He didn't hit well without Daniel Murphy. You are nowhere near any playoff hope. I mean, you're probably looking at an NLDS exit because 
he tore up game five against the Dodgers. I just – I can't thank Murph enough. He really. had two home runs that game, I think, off Kershaw and Granke. I think that was who it was against. I'm not – you could correct Yeah, me. I think he, he went deep off – I think he went deep in uh, off Granke and then, in that series. Yeah. I know he went deep off Granke later. I think early on in the series he went deep off Kershaw. Yeah, so I think I just – what he did in that postseason was – Incredible. I mean, before Rosarena and Seeger, one of the best postseasons we've ever seen, counting out his World Series performance, which, uh, mm-hmm. to be honest, nobody performed well as a Met. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, maybe you can count Matt Harvey for uh, eight innings of playing. Matt in Harvey was, had a dominant performance, kept them in the game, and then uh, Lucas Duda happened. So, uh, yeah. listen, I, I still find myself, especially during this quarantine, I have probably watched that Matt Harvey performance eight or nine times in full in full game. I mean. So to me, it's so special. I just remember where I was. My dad wakes me up uh, in the eighth. Then I remember I'm only probably nine, ten. But you know, my dad wakes me up. He's like Harvey's pitching. He's 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 pitching like crazy. He's pitching great. And I just see a ground ball to third. David Wright doesn't really look over to the third base bag. Fires it to first, and you know, rest is history. Lucas Duda couldn't make a throw to Travis Darno. So I think you're looking. I think I'm not going to criticize you in any way. I think you're looking past what. That, that throw needs to be made by any MLB first baseman. You can't tell me that David Wright's not in the fault there. I mean, he did the right thing. He looked at him oh, first. That, no, not in the fault. I think that's just one of the minor things you can look at now. Yeah. Five years. I think, I think David Wright should have looked at him a little bit longer. I think he did look at him for a decent uh, – he looked at him for a little bit of time, and then he made the throw. I think due to, that needs to be a bank. has to be a good throw. It, it just needs to be – as an MLB first baseman, there's no way you could have made yourself look worse than to have made that. But, I, I mean, I will give credit to Lucas Duda. I, I think he had a very fine Mets career. I mean, a lot of clutch home runs, I think. One of the ones that comes to mind for me is that Nationals home run in uh, on Monday Night Baseball. I think we're going a little too far for this. I think we got a little out of hand. But, uh, Alf, do you have any more, or is this, was that the uh, final prompt? Uh, I got I got one more, and if you or if you guys are willing to do another one after that, that's fine. Um, right. But I just want to – if this is our final question, I just want to say – uh, are the NBA teams becoming uh, superstar teams? You look at 2017 Golden State Warriors adding uh, KD. Now you're looking at the Brooklyn Nets adding Harden, Kyrie, and uh, KD. Are NBA teams becoming superstar teams where it's like some teams are just so at high levels, like, and then there's other teams that have absolutely no talent? I, yeah, I, yeah. Oh, Paul, you can take first. I'll, 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 I think I find it absolutely uh, absurd what ML- NBA teams have just turned into uh, kind of a joke at this point. I mean, it's really two teams at the top that you know are going to be in the conference championship. I mean, the Heat as the anomaly, they were they were a great team last year. I don't think they replicate that this year. I think they could make it back there. I think the Sixers got a better chance of doing that. But I think the Nets, if they add a defensive player like Andre Drummond, who's been rumored to be – could be bought out by the Cavs and could go to the Nets. I think that would be the the best case scenario for them. I think that the Nets are really now they they shouldn't lose. I really think the only team they could or should lose to is if they do lose to at all. I think is the Lakers, which I mean LeBron James and Anthony Davis are you're probably looking at a top five duo of all time if they stay together for a little bit of time. I think that I looking at Lakers duos. I think they're they could be better than Shaq and. Kobe, I think. Well, I mean, they didn't play them together for long enough. Obviously, they had their reasons, but I think LeBron and AD have great chemistry, which Kobe and Shaq did not. And I think that with that, I think they could bring that team to more championships and win more. 
Yeah, I think that the super team era has, I mean, been here for a while now since that Warriors team. And even before that, you know, you've got the LeBron James, uh, Bosch, D-Wade era. But, uh, you know, every year it's the only league in sports, really, that you're look, you know who's going to be in the conference championship, who's going to be in the finals at the start of the year. I mean, the NFL and MLB, even NHL, you don't know. I mean, the, you didn't think a team like the Rays, although they were good, they were, you didn't think they were going to make it to the uh, – the World Series, you, you didn't really expect the Bucs. You know, they were going to be good, but you didn't expect them to make it to the uh, the Super Bowl. So, I mean, it really goes either way. And speaking of the Super Bowl, I think that's going to be our last topic for today. Uh, just want to hear all of your guys' Super Bowl predictions, what we think or what you guys think is going to go down in that game. All right, so I just want to add something real quick, and then you guys could say something. Um, I honestly could not tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl. I think it could go down as one of the best Super Bowls ever. I think with these these two teams that have one of the most two of the most high powered offenses in the league, I think Tom Brady's still performing. As crazy as it sounds, at forty three years old, it's not actually to be honest, not really crazy. He's just he's the best quarterback ever, maybe best player ever. Just there's it's just not even a debate anymore. Just showing that he's just the best to ever walk the earth at football. Just think, I it's really gonna come down to whose defense is better than the others. And then I just want to add one more thing. I think Tony Romo said this the best. If Mahomes wins this game, I think he could go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. Oh, no, 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 I no. Think, Way too early. I think Way he, too early. I think if he loses this game, he's got no shot. What? Of, being, right. of being up there. Okay, I, I completely disagree here. I think two, two Super Bowl wins, although that's great. You beat Brady. He's 43. I love Brady. Well, I don't love Brady. I, I respect Brady. As a Jets fan, I respect Brady. But uh, this year, I can appreciate him a little more. I think the way that Brady throws the ball is obscene, uh, considering he's 43. The way that he throws it harder than Sam Darnold, obviously. I mean, if you watch a game like that, he just, he's got some, still, he's still got some pop in that ball. But uh, I think I was saying that I just don't think that uh, you can consider Patrick Mahomes as the greatest of all time after two Super Bowl wins. No, I think. no, I'm not. I, after his career, because if you're look, if you're comparing them, now Mahomes has the Super yeah. Bowl win. You could you could say you could have said the same thing though about Russell Wilson after his first Super Bowl win. I mean, if they no, just hand, if they hand off the ball to Marshawn Lynch, that's too straight. And you're yeah, looking but, at Russell Wilson being in the same. Consideration. No, you couldn't. No. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's nothing like Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes is a once in a generation quarterback. With the way he throws the ball, he could even run, which we didn't really notice until last year. I think now he's certified himself as mm-hmm. someone you need to watch out for. I, 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 you know, listen, do, do, do I think he can be the greatest of all time? I think yes. But right now, after two Super Bowls, I can't confidently say there's too many things that could go in his no, career. Obviously, forbidding, in, like, hopefully injuries don't happen. I want him play out his entire career. I hope he isn't played by injuries because he's a fun quarterback to watch play. Probably the most fun quarterback in the league to watch right now. He just lights up the field every time he plays. And I think um, – Okay, I just want to say, I just want to give a score prediction. Um, I think that the Chiefs are going to win. I'm going to say 28 to 24. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to go absolutely crazy on offense. Um, But listen, Brady's Brady. I think Mahomes is going to step up in the pressure, knowing that we don't know how long Brady's going to be playing for however long he is. And I think this could be a, a, a one shot, a one in a lifetime shot against going up against Tom Brady as Patrick Mahomes. I, I think, I think that, um, I think Mahomes is going to have a good game. Don't get me wrong. I think we saw last year out of Damian Williams in the Chiefs' offense in the Super Bowl. I think that we could see that again with Clyde, Daryl Williams. I think 
the running backs play a huge role in that Chiefs offense. And if they're able to give the ball to Tyree Kill six times and then still be able to have an efficient run game, have Travis Kelsey play well, I think you're looking at an easy win for them as long as their defense plays well. But I think that if the running backs struggle, I think it, op- it opens up for the Tampa Bay defense to be a lot better. I think if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm a little worried about uh, this offense. I know, obviously, this is the best offense we've seen in a long time. But it seems that in playoffs games that they get out to really slow starts. I think you saw it in the Cleveland game. Uh, I think you even saw it in the Bills game. Really, that first quarter, McCall Harbin fumbles the ball. They really didn't have anything going. <clears throat> I think you saw it in the Texans game, I think I said. They were down 24 nothing. They came back. Uh, but I don't think you're going to be able to come back against this Tom Brady offense and this very good uh, defense led by Devin White and Levante David. I, I don't think – I don't see them uh, being able to come back. So, if I had to give a score prediction, I think it's going to be low scoring in the first half. I think they're going to get their feet wet. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 21-17 Chiefs. I still think the Chiefs are going to take it. I think this could be whoever has the ball last is winning the Super Bowl. I, I, I don't doubt Tom Brady by any means, but I just think that Patrick Mahomes might have the edge here. I think uh, I think he's got the best chance – I'm gonna All go. Right, so, I'm gonna. Okay. I'm gonna give my score prediction. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go twenty to fourteen bucks. I'm gonna say the Tom Brady's get uh, just edges out another championship to top off his unbelievable career. I just think, I think their defense is better than the Chiefs' defense. I think that Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles have been very well, very good coaches this year. I think they've shown that they're good coaches in the sense that they're both the offense and the defense have been great for that team all year. Think, I think that Tom Brady is going to take advantage of a slow start that the Chiefs always get off to. I think the Chiefs are obviously going to make their, you know, make their comeback. But I just think that Tom Brady's going to take advantage of the slow start that the Chiefs always get out to, and I think that's what's going to, you know, prevail the Chief, uh, the Bucks to a win. All right, so we got I got Mahomes winning twenty twenty four. We got Paul. Uh, Saying Brady's gonna win twenty fourteen, and I think John said Brady's gonna win twenty one to seventeen. He said, uh, "I said it's Mahomes." Okay, so Mahomes winning twenty one to seventeen. So Mahomes got the favor right now in the in the rush hour pod. <laughs> I think yeah, I, I think this is something we'll definitely go over next week, and I, I think we'll probably be posted on a Friday. But uh, I think this is something we'll definitely go over because I mean, usually we're not we're just amateurs, so I'm sure it won't uh, play out exactly how we think it'll play out. But, I don't uh, think. I don't think any of us are going to get the score right. I just think. Uh, <laughs> Listen, think, if, if we do, I think somebody gets five bucks. If anybody gets the score, I'll give I you think five it's bucks. fun to predict the score. I don't think anybody's going to get it right. I think it's yeah. just something that's almost impossible to do. With the, uh, my friend did it last year. He won a jersey from Catch the Blitz. Got that's a, pretty cool. He got a Dak Prescott jersey last year. Shout out to Anthony Sirico if you're watching this. <laughs> you know, uh, if that is, I mean, if that is to happen, I think uh, we get a 10, 10 bucks for each Rush Hour Pod member. And uh, you get you give it to the, the player who gets it right because, you know, they deserve it. <laughs> All righty, guys. I think this is going to wrap it up. Uh, a big thank you to uh, Eric Valentin. He helped us uh, along the way. Uh, we really thought about this, doing this for maybe only a week, and I think that it just came to fruition, and we're really excited that we're doing this. Yeah, again, big thank you to Eric. He helped us out. He gave us some logo ideas. Big thank you to Al. Al uh, created the Instagram account. You can follow us there, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, our Twitter sports pod on Instagram. I think it's- uh, tw- Twitter were pod underscore rush. Um, I think we've covered all bases. Thank, thank you to everyone it- listening. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, and I, I hope to see you guys on the next podcast, probably next Friday. This will be posted on Friday. So next one will come out probably do every Friday, maybe on specials. We can do different days, but uh, yeah. Thank you guys. Bye.